everybody out there. Welcome. This is James Powell, and I'm here with Jason Jensen, and we are Crazy Double J's Model Weathering Podcast. <laughs> Jason, hey everyone. what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing great, James. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is uh, well, I guess our first uh, Crazy Double J's Podcast. Yep. And, and uh, you know, we're here to talk about weathering models and uh, what you do, Jason, and what I do, and how, how we weather our models. And uh, maybe open it up so so people maybe can use some of our techniques that we use to weather models and uh, kind of spread the love we have for uh, uh, not necessarily model railroading, but model building and, and uh, diorama building in general. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I think it's a huge passion for both of us. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've been oh. doing it since I was a little kid. Yeah. And um, uh, not to the likings of my family, I seem to be out here in the garage all the time. Um, I, I have a, as you do, I have a massive uh, kind of drive and will to create. Yeah. And uh, by by building scale model things, that is kind of my uh, God. That that is, I don't know. Maybe maybe I feel like I was born to do it. I don't know. It's just it's a drive, and yep. uh, I have to I have to uh, I have to release those kind of uh, creative urges so oh definitely and I think for both of us we come at it from a little bit more of an artistic point of view yeah uh, I mean, we're, we're trying to create a mood or a feeling uh yeah. rather than a, a prototypical look but I I always kind of thought of it as like a miniature movie set right yeah um, yep I, I think we're we're taking these viewers uh the people that would be either viewing the photographs online or or coming to a layout and kind of transporting them into a different world, a different realm. And yep. um, we want them to kind of leave their, all their uh, outdoor real life feelings at the doorstep or at the threshold. And when they come in uh, and, and see our work, we want them to feel like, you know, like, wow, you know, this is a place where I would have loved to have seen in real life, could have been, should have been, and uh, bring them to it. Um, you know, I guess for me, so many times when I post a video or post pictures, I almost wish I could have music playing yep. behind it because I, I'm really trying to create that feeling. Yeah. And um, without that music or sound effects, it's like watching a movie with the sound off. It's so you interpret it differently. Well, sure. Completely. Yeah. I mean, you may, you um, may that those visualizations may be one thing without the sound, but I totally get what you you're talking about. So uh, for us, it's a visual art that you, you're trying to provoke a feeling in someone else. Well, you know, I, I posted some pictures uh, not long ago of this fish reclamation kind of building where they take the chum from the fish and they were saying, I can smell the rotten fish or I can smell. See, yeah. That's exactly what I think you and I are trying to invoke in our modeling. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. So what, you know, there's so many techniques out there that modelers yep. use, right? Um, coming from the really early days of like the, uh, the John Allen's, the Malcolm Furlow's later on, John Olson's, uh, our techniques have been developing uh, year over year, uh, you know, decade over decade, the de techniques have been getting more and more realistic when it comes not only to uh, the model kits themselves, but they actually weathering and uh, the looks of the models. 
And you've really uh, kind of stepped it up in the model railroading uh, ball game in a, in a pretty short period of time. How, how long have you been uh, doing your YouTube channel? For like four years, five years? Uh, no, actually, YouTube, uh, I, I don't know exactly, two, two and a half years. That's it? That's it. <laughs> now, I started my Facebook page, though, in December 17th. 2019 so it's only been two years two, too no 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 i'm sorry 2017 2017, 2017. okay all right yeah yep. uh, but i mean you're i remember you called me up and you said i think i'm gonna start doing youtube videos right and uh, you did and they've kind yeah. of took like a a moonshot because you went from <laughs> uh how, what do you got, like 20,000 subscribers now or something like that? So, <laughs> I'm at 23-something. 23,100 and some. But, and growing every day. Yeah. Yeah. So I got, I think, 1,000 if, if I have that many. Uh, <laughs> if I'm that lucky. No, uh, but, you know, that's just a really quick little background about uh, Jason and uh, and not really anything uh, – that you guys don't already know, you know, people that, that are going to listen to this probably have an idea about Jason Jensen trains, or they may have a little idea about dirt spot. Um, but let, let's talk about what some of your favorite modeling, not modeling so much, but weathering techniques are. What, 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 uh, you know, that's something you don't really hear a lot about uh, on podcasts or on, on YouTube videos and whatnot It is about specifically about weathering and how do you take your models that, um, generally are, are I, I would think most people build up and they're nice and clean. Um, and what do you do to make them look real? You know, what do you do to, uh, um, make them look like they, they actually should be, or they really exist. And they've, well, like you said, there, there's so many different techniques for painting and weathering. Um, and I like to try, I like to try them all. And I, I don't ever stick to one specific technique. Yeah, I don't think you can. I, I, I no. think, um, you know, I, I, uh, I've mentioned this before in the past that I think if you get, I guess what you could say to, to be too good at one thing, um, then you're probably not trying hard enough, right? Yeah. I mean, yep. I know, I know you, you came to me one time and said, hey, you know, this, I, I think I maybe have gotten all I could get out of, you know, acrylic craft paints, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, yeah. but then, you know, we brought in this military stuff, the ammo yeah. by Mickey yep. Menes. And that opens up a whole new world because there's a, a giant uh, fan base out there, a giant, giant modeling base that uses these kind of military weathering, traditionally military yep. products. And they really haven't been used in model railroading. Exactly. Exactly. And I think my first instinct is to resist what I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, I it's like, uh, it, right away you tell yourself you you sort of justify it because uh, you tell yourself that it's too expensive. You know, it's like oh, I can I can achieve the same look with just the craft paint and pastels or the colored pencils. But once you really dive into it, it it's so incredible, and you just can't achieve that look 
with other product. You just, you really can't. Once you start experimenting and really practicing using the ammo by MIG product, um, it, it's amazing what you can achieve. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and, and we're talking about ammo by MIG, but there's obviously other manufacturers out sure. there. Sure. Make really good stuff. Um, we're just we're familiar with ammo because we we have their products. So, uh, but you know, I remember um, when I was so into craft paints, and I was like, man, you you don't need the polyester. <laughs> you can do that. You don't need Floquil. Why do you need stinky Floquil? Even though you know, like Floquil driftwood was like the de facto <laughs> standard for everybody. Yeah. And then yeah. years ago, when they started, they went out of business. Everybody hoarded it. Um, but you by using multiple different medias, be it enamels, be it pastels, acrylics, um, different types of washes, you can achieve layers uh, with whether it's rusts or water stains or calcium or dirt or grime, and it looks so damn realistic. Yeah, and I think that's what we're trying. That's kind of why we're doing this podcast. We want to get that out there that. You know, yeah, this stuff does cost a little bit more. There's no doubt about it, but it lasts so much longer for the uh, for the volume. A little goes a long way. Well, it really does. It's and so, it's so much easier. It's just easier than trying to reproduce that with cheaper product. Well, you know, I I know I've heard people talk about it, and I know I did all the time. I was like. You know, everybody was using black India ink washes like George Selios used. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I'll tell you what, that when I first saw that, I was blown away. I was probably in high school. And uh, I saw that and I said, holy crap, that, that's amazing. But then we all got stuck into this. We're using black. Why are we always using the same color to wash? Yep. Shadows yep. are different colors depending on where you're at, mm-hmm. you know? And, but but these the military, like the ammo stuff, there's all these washes and they're all different colors. It's like this rainbow of colors that you can put on things. And depending on whether you're seeing outside, inside, in the shadow, there's just so many options. And then there's default options too. You know, there, there's certain washes that you could use on pretty much everything and they'll look good. So, sure. um, but you know, black is black. How, yeah. many, how many shadows do you see that are black unless it's, you know, midnight <laughs> outside and there's yep. no moon, you know? Yeah. Uh, you, you look in a shadow outside when the sun's out, you know, I got the, I got the garage door open behind me and you look in a shadow and it's, it's actually got blue in it, you know, uh-huh. from the sky, sure. there's a blue sky. You got blue in your shadow. Yeah. The, there's, people, there's people that, you know, color with uh, Prismacolor markers and you know, you, you color things oh. all the time oh. in your professional yeah. career. Right. Yep. And if you're, yep. there's certain shadows, if you're doing shadows, you get a little blue, warm, warm or a cool blue. In a shadow, uh-huh. boom, it looks like a real shadow from outside. And that's, oh, that's because when, when we're modeling, we're taking cues. And, and I, I'm not a professionally trained artist. So I, I, I'm just more of like a, I look at it and I kind of analyze what something looks like and I go from there, you know. And, um, and there are certain things that you can see outside in nature that are fairly easy to replicate that for a long time, we never really thought about doing in model railroad. And oh, so, yeah. Um, yep. Well, I think the most important thing, no matter what you're using to paint and weather with, the most important thing is to keep it in scale. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, so important. And I think that's where people get frustrated. Um, I know recently uh, there's been a lot of talk on the internet about using uh, a sponge. <laughs> 
And uh, I think too many people are too heavy handed with it. And you're getting these very large splotches and you're not happy with it. And you might not realize why you're not happy with it, but it, it's out of scale. It's just too big and splotchy. So the, the key is to, you know, dab that sponge onto a scrap piece of paper first, get as much paint off of it as possible. And then, put it onto your final product. So you're getting fine little dots that are in scale. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of see that and the way you describe it is kind of how dry brushing is supposed to be done. Uh -huh. Okay. And here's the one thing I see with model railroaders and dry brushing. And this goes back to, you know, I'm thinking mid eighties watching the model railroader videos. There was a video that Malcolm Furlow did and he was showing dry brushing. There was also a uh, uh, Alan Keller video with George Salios, and he was showing dry brushing with like yeah. an antique white. Yeah. One thing I think model railroaders don't necessarily get about dry brushing is when you do a dry brush, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think this is my opinion though. Uh, when you do a dry brush on a model, you should never, never see brush strokes. Oh, never. Never. But, what I see on a lot of people's models is they, you can actually see the bristle marks, the brush strokes, <laughs> yeah. but dry brushing is not supposed to be that. You're showing a hint of a high. And I think too many people do dry brushing to just create a highlight. They do off white over something. And what I'm doing more and more of when it comes to dry brushing is using lighter colors to achieve a look, a sun faded sign. Right. So now you're, you're just dry brushing with a lighter color. So that's of, of that base color, right? Yeah. Of that base color. So you're not trying to create a highlight at all. You're trying to create something that looks faded or even a darker, you could dry brush with a dark color when, when you're doing rust. Sure, sure. So, so, so if, if we have, let's say we're painting, let's say a billboard, a frame of a billboard, yeah. right? And the old school billboard frames with the lattice on the bottom, let's say they're usually, they were green or white, right? Uh -huh. so let's say a green one. So you're saying, let's say you do something with like, uh, like maybe let's say it starts with, with an emerald green, right? Uh -huh. And then you're, you're saying that you would take maybe that green base, put a little bit of like white in it or something yeah. like that and lighten it up a little bit. Yep. Right. And then you would go from there. Yeah. Uh, but the same would be true with, with, uh, uh, with sponging. Like you're just wanting to hit the very tops of your details. Right. And you're, and you're always moving your sponge. Yep. Yep. So it's, and the same thing goes with dry brushing where you have to get 99% of that paint out of the brush before you dry brush. Yeah. Now, this is my one question about sponging. Are you doing the same type of thing with sponging or do you leave a little bit more paint in? I mean, how do you approach that? Um, I really try to get as much paint out of the sponge as possible. Uh, I really do. Um, because again, I think if there's too much paint in the sponge, uh, it's going to look too heavy handed. And, and another good tip I think is to squeeze the sponge with tweezers oh yeah okay. and it, it forces you to go lighter 
uh, where if you're just pinching the sponge with your fingers and dabbing it on, you tend to go too heavy. Where if you grab the sponge with tweezers and then dab it onto the model, you tend to go lighter. Uh, that's just me personally. I don't know if that's oh, it makes other sense. people, but yeah. Yeah, uh, it, I think you're that's really a good trick. Because you have that tool in your hand, you're actually pay, probably paying attention more yeah. to what you're doing as yep. opposed to just naturally. You're, you're probably getting a better view too sure. where that sponge is hitting. So when you take the, the paint out of the sponge, are you using like a, a napkin or a piece of paper or cardboard? Yeah, just or, like a paper towel, you know, okay. or like even a, like you said, a piece of cardboard and just dabbing it on there first. So um, I know that when, when I go to dry brush, when I first, when I get nearly all the paint out of the brush, and I generally try to use a kind of a little bit of a stiffer bristled brush when I dry brush. Um, yeah. I know some people use softer brushes. It really depends. I, I tend to use a little bit of stiffer, even like a dirty brush where the paint's kind of dried up and I kind of fluff it up in my hand a little bit uh-huh. and soften the bristles a, li- bristles, bristles a little bit, but yeah. still leave it to where, you know, it's the bristles are kind of stiff. Um, when I start dry brushing, I almost can't see that paint going on the highs. Uh-huh. And I use multiple layers over and over. And then you gradually start noticing a change. Uh, uh-huh. And I think sure. that kind of avoids, you know, going on too heavy all at once where you have to go back and try to remove paint. Uh, you, are you doing the same type of thing with your sponging where you're, you're trying to do a little bit first? To build it up slowly. Yes. So yes. layers. Like we yep. always, we are oh, always yeah. talking about layers. I mean, <laughs> yep. it's all yep. about layers, right? Yeah. Um, now, I, think- I know not everyone has this luxury, but the lighting above your layout or above your dioramas, that should be providing your highlights. You shouldn't be painting your highlights on. Paint it how it looks in real life and let your lighting above your layout do that work for you. Right, right. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. I, there was one thing uh, that I found, and I know other people have talked about this. Uh, Carl uh, Olsinski talked about this. Uh, I guess his room where he does his models is uh, so bright. You have to wear, you know, sunglasses. And <laughs> yeah. I've, I've added uh, two uh, 500 watt equivalent bulbs above where uh-huh. I paint. Plus I have neon plus I have incandescent or not neon fluorescent. I have incandescent. So it's really, really bright in here. So when I have my garage door open at night, people think the sun is coming out of my, <laughs> my garage. But oh, wow. the difference you know, it's like, it, the difference is like not wearing glasses and wearing glasses. Yeah. It, it, it makes it so much easier to see what the heck I'm doing. Um, yep. Where I thought my lighting was adequate before, where I had a couple little, uh, uh, the, the CFL bulbs and a couple little gooseneck uh, lights. And then I kept adding more and more light. And now it's like, I can see everything. Yeah. You know? I, need, I have that over my workbench, but now I need to add that kind of lighting over my layout because I'm constantly taking models back and forth to see what it looks like on the layout opposed to, you know, what it looks like on my workbench. Uh, But if I match the the same intensity lighting over my layout, it won't be a problem. Right. Right. And and that's uh, luckily I have the, I guess, well, I don't, I don't know if it's a good thing, but my layout is going to be basically where my workbench is right now. So Mm -hmm. it's really bright. So that, that'll be good. <laughs> good. Now I got to try to get 
I got to get some kind of daylight balance going on in here. So I got to uh -huh. work with some different colored Kelvin bulbs so I can get the light to look like my photos when I take them outside, Sure. which is how I shoot my stuff. I actually bring it outside and shoot it. Um, yep. and I just love how it looks. Um, oh, definitely. So, so when you talk about scale, you, you are really considering, you know, there's one thing if you paint and it's blotchy, but if you're on a model, that blotch could look huge. Whereas, yes. so you, you really got to consider how big are things like you're saying like chips of paint when you're doing sponging or rough? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's the scale of those things in real life? Right. Exactly. Um, or like, say you're doing rusted metal in yeah. real life. You get those. It's like millions of little dots. It's like pitted little right. rust starts right, right yeah. forming. Well, to create that on a sign in HO scale, man, you want to get most of the paint off of that sponge so that you're getting tons of tiny little specks right around yeah. the whole edge the outer edge of the sign to make it look like it's real rusted metal now when you when you're doing your rust and this you know rust it, for me has been always kind of the thing that i love painting yeah, i love yep. putting rust on things as a matter of fact i i'm writing an article for the new uh the new uh rust 2.0 uh uh what am i trying to say the the I'm writing a article for the new Rust 2.0 edition of Weathering Magazine. Their okay. very first ever Weathering Magazine was called Rust. Well, this is going to uh, be Rust 2.0. And cool. I love doing Rust. I, I just love it. Yep. And there's so many different types, and it comes in so many different colors. Yes. Um, but when specifically when you're doing signs, and when you're doing kind of like, like the porcelain advertising signs that a lot of us model, there, re uh -huh. there really was a kind of, they all seem to rust in a somewhat of a similar way. Sure. Uh, so it's kind of cool that it, that is an art form in itself to get your, your, yes. just that sign to look like it was a real metal porcelain sign, right? Yep. Or a painted yep. metal sign. And so your techniques that you've been using where you're saying that you're, you're kind of, having almost these microscopic dots with your sponge where maybe yeah. the rust is a little bit newer and it yeah. hasn't started spreading out. That's, that's, that's hard to achieve, but um, I think you're showing a lot of people recently, uh, you know, how to, how to do that. And it's kind of funny, the proliferation you can see in the, in the modeling hobby <laughs> where all of a sudden people are starting to do that technique and you say, wow, you know, that, I think yeah, what they're trying to show is, is uh, really, uh, <laughs> it's, it's really then, working, right? Uh, the ammo product has taken it to a whole nother level because they have like the rust washed rust pigments. So to add that on top of what I was already doing just really takes it to a whole nother level. In, in a way, that's kind of how I use the ammo products is that I uh, will rust kind of with their acrylic colors first. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, like I always used to where I yep. have like a, I'll have a really dark base and then I go with a lighter, like a dark brown, a really dark like brown. And usually three shades, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So start with a really dark brown and then kind of an orangey brown and then something a little bit brighter. That brighter yeah. rust usually simulates the newer, the newer uh -huh. rust, new exposed steel or new exposed iron. Um, then from there with, with all these ammo products, I layer on top of that 
and yes. they're they're enamels, yep. so they don't affect your acrylic. Exactly, it, and, yeah. and it gives you more and more depth. Yep, and, and I know you've been doing that too, and it just it, it shows. It, it just looks so much more realistic. And then for the final step to go in with a fine brush and just brush on some of that rust pigment mm -hmm. to dust that on there, um, man, it just looks so incredible. Well, let's talk about that for a second. You know, yeah. I, I really, I, aside from the animal products, I do really like pan pastels. Yeah. Uh, I really, I've only been using them for about maybe a year or so, but I really enjoy using them. I use them to weather wood definitely to, to, uh, to do rust colors. Um, but you have, uh, pastel chalks, you have pigments, you have pan pastels. They're all similar dry powder kind of materials, right? Yeah. It yep. seems to me that a lot of modelers don't necessarily, uh, use those cause they're, they, I think they're worried about getting fingerprints and, and what, what do you do? to, um, you know, kind of solve that issue? Well, you just brought up a great point. I think a lot of modelers are hesitant about using anything that's powdery on their models because right. they think it's going to smudge, they're going to get fingerprints, it's going to come off. Um, I feel it should be your last step. The last step is to weather it with the powders and then then leave it alone. Right. <laughs> don't, don't even put a clear coat over it. Just leave it. You're not going to be handling it. So there's no need to put a clear on it. I think that's, a, that's um, a good, a good point to make. You get a lot of uh, kit builders uh, and I'm talking about plastic kit builders, whether it's armor, you know, aviation, rockets, yeah. sci-fi, whatever. And um, they, at least maybe in my observation, they tend to handle their models a little bit more than we do. Mm -hmm. Um, once a building's kind of put on a layout and you know that spot where you want it, uh, I always glue them down, right? You don't, yeah. you're not ever really picking it up again. You yep. might use a brush to, you know, a really soft brush to clean off dust or like you, you wave your, your car yeah. over top of your layout yep. to keep the dust off, right? I saw that yeah. on one of your videos, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but uh, once, once you get that, that pigment, like I'll do a lot of, I mix a lot of inks uh, not inks, but uh, alcohol and ink or alcohol washes uh, with my pigments. And it goes on one color, but then when it dries, it floats out. It gets thin on the edges and it dries back to the color of the pigment. Uh -huh. It looks pretty damn good, usually, <laughs> unless I screw it up and, you know, I have to repaint it, which happens yeah. uh, quite often. Uh, but, <laughs> but that pigment, you don't have to brush on the pigment. You can put that pigment on with a carrier, like uh -huh. be it an alcohol or uh, ammo makes like a pigment fixer, which is more of a, a way to lock that pigment in. Like you say, you don't even do that. And, but I think the beauty is when you don't do that is your, your chalks, your pigments, they tend up ending to be dead flat. And yeah. that, that is something hard for a lot of modelers to achieve because uh -huh. a lot of our paint, even the flat craft paints still tend to have a sheen. Yep. You know? So I, I think that, and I think so many people would be surprised that that pigment's not coming off. It's really not, it's not going to just 
wear off over time. It's not, it's not going anywhere. It's going to stay. So don't be concerned about it. Well, and, and I mean, these uh, pigments, eventually this is what coming the, off because it, it won't. Yeah, no, I mean, the pigments are what they make paint with, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't have a liquid carrier or liquid yeah. binder, but it's a pigment for a reason because it changes things, <laughs> it changes things yeah. into the color that it's touching. Right. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, they, they don't come off very easily. Nope. And, uh, and, and I don't think many people are picking their structures up or they're, you know, and really, uh, you know, unless they're cradling them and sleeping in the bed with them. At night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think they have to worry about that. So I think, you know, like you say, like, um, putting on the dry pigments, be it pan pastels, chalks, um, uh, or, or, you know, like for instance, ammo pigments, I, I don't think they really have to worry about sealing those. Now they, they yeah. do make sealers for those. Of course. Sure. Like say the pigment fixer. I use a lot of times I use a dull coat, like testers dull coat, the one testers product I still use. Actually, I also use the diasol, um, I guess it's called the diasol equivalent. Uh, they call it universal enamel thinner. I okay. use that every once in a while too. Um, that they used to use for Floquil products, right? And I suppose maybe on rolling stock, yeah. if you're going to be handling a little bit more. But even with that, I don't know. I handle all of my models very in a very delicate manner. Right. You know, I mean, I'm just very careful with them. So even I, with the rolling stock, I'm not going to be, you know. Well, you know, I think most most people are now because – Today's rolling stock models, today's locomotives, they have, you know, individual grab irons. They, every little detail is yeah. there. It used to be all cast in and you could pick the thing up and nothing was ever <laughs> yeah. going to break. But yeah. now there's the details, the t- detail level is so high yep. that, you know, you do want to be careful with that stuff. So, yeah, I suppose that you, know, you could always pick them up with like a little paper towel or something like that. But I don't think there's a necessity um, in a way is probably as long as you're not getting nasty, dirty fingerprints on it, the oils on your hands probably help protect some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, it probably helps lock some of the color on. So um, yeah. So as far as uh, pigments, I think that's uh, I think that's a really kind of uh, uh, people used it for a while and then they kind of stepped away from it. But I don't, I don't see any reason not to use it. I mean, I, I think it helps uh, make things certainly a lot more realistic. It uh-huh. gives a nice kind of dry effect. It also gives a really nice matte effect. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to use it everywhere, right? Sure. You want to use it yeah. In areas where you would actually see like the dirt and the, you know, uh, like the other day I put it on some windows, you know, some acetate and I mixed it with alcohol and I used the dust. The pigment's actually called dust. And people were saying, how'd you get those windows to look like that? They look like real windows. And I said, well, it's, I actually put dust pigment with it. And that's all it was. And yeah. then I just kind of play around with it, with the alcohol to get rid of the brush streaks. And then you just let it dry and then yeah. never touch it again. You yep. know, but the cool thing about ammo products is if you have a little bit too much, you can always go back and take it off. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, yep. Yep. Um, so I, I know we were, we were talking about, uh, you know, signs. Um, yeah. and that, that a lot of us modelers, I don't do signs nearly as much as I used to. And uh-huh. that's simply because I hate to go in and get on the computer and make a sign, <laughs> yeah. print it, and then come back out. Cause I always want to be building something. Sure. So if I had a giant sheet of signs, I'd probably put them on all the time, 
but uh, I like customizing my signs uh, and not using a lot of stock signs. So I don't want to spend the time. It's just like 3D printing. I don't want to spend the time drawing something to necessarily print something when I totally could. Yeah. But I don't want to because I want to be painting and weathering um, and building. And so that's why I don't put as many signs on. And when I start my layout, I will. I'll add signs to my building. Sure, sure. Um, But that that brings up... uh, with with signs and when you're doing the delicate uh little like like rust streaks and things like that how do you go about doing that because you know you always see like rust streaks coming down signs from where um uh, you know maybe a little bit of the porcelain or the paint's chipped off and then not only is the, the rust started to uh migrate across the face of the sign but it also also kind of sometimes like runs down and makes streaks yeah. how do you go about doing that well I used the, you know, the washes or the streaking from ammo, but more importantly, I have specific brushes that I use for that. Okay. And I, I take really good care of those brushes and a mistake that a lot of people will go out and buy good brushes and it doesn't take long and pretty soon they're ruined. Right. Right. Well, uh, a trick to keeping those brushes in shape, and well for a long time is to never fully load paint on the bristles only go up a half halfway or maybe three quarters of the way up on the bristles okay with paint so you're saying don't ever that what's the, the little metal the bezel whatever the little metal piece is, is called? it the feral or oh feral yeah okay yeah, yeah. okay um yeah don't ever get your paint up to that point because what happens is that paint gets in between all the bristles inside of that metal part right and it spreads them apart it's spreading all of the hairs apart and it will lose its shape It, it, it actually gets fatter and fatter because that paint is getting trapped up in there and drying and it's spreading out all the bristles. Well, that so makes sense. Never, yeah, That's why never. all my brushes are fat. <laughs> <laughs> but I only probably have three brushes, three brushes that I keep really, really well for okay. small details, you know? Yeah, I have, um, I think right here at the workbench, I think I have a, let me see what it is. It's a Windsor Newton brush, I think. Um, it is a Series 7. And I've used it so much, I can't see what it is, but I think there's like two or three zeros after the number and I use it all the time, but it's <laughs> so small. Um, yeah. And, you know, I don't keep it clean. Uh, I think I should, <laughs> uh, but uh, I use that brush over and over. All my other brushes, you know, I throw them in a thing of water and I don't care if they get all flattened oh, out or whatever. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I keep that water for months. <laughs> until it evaporates and i fill Uh, it back up i do the same thing i have brushes that are just horrible looking but they work for certain things right yeah like i was saying like for dry brushing you know i'll uh, soften one up and use it dirty i don't don't care yeah yeah um cool cool so uh you you talked you had mentioned when we were talking before about colored pencils yes uh what how do you what type of colored pencils do you use i know that ak has some weathering pencils um what do you do yeah uh, uh oh my god i'm drawing a blank what are the name you prismacolor? Know, 
Prismacolor. Yeah, Prismacolor. I have some of them. <laughs> yes, yes. Prismacolor, because I, I feel the lead is kind of soft. It's not like super hard lead. Right. So it's soft. You can uh, sharpen it to a really super fine point. You can draw on your models and then use odorless thinner with a fine brush. And you can really um, streak it. You can move it around and, and really play with it. So uh, I think that's a great technique using the colored pencils. It, and it, they don't have to be the watercolor pencils. I think so many people think, oh, I have to buy watercolor pencils right. because then it'll work with the liquid that I'm applying, water or the odorless thinner. But no, it, you can use regular pencil. Yeah, um, I bought, and it was years ago I bought these, but my, and I eventually gave them to my, uh, my youngest daughter, and now she's given them back to me because she didn't want them fluttering <laughs> up her room. But I think it was like a Prismacolor set of 128. Of yeah. course, there's probably only about 40 left in it. But there were some, a couple French grays, which, which is a gray that's um, a, a little bit warmer. Um, it's not on the cool side of the spectrum. It's, it's more of a warm gray. Um, and there were some like a burnt sienna and a raw umber and a, uh, I think a burnt umber. And I found that I've been using those to make, instead of making nail holes, you know, there's a whole nother controversy <laughs> whether buildings <laughs> yes. have nail holes or not. Um, yeah. I used to use a pounce wheel or a nail hole pounce wheel and put nail holes in my buildings. I don't do that. And that's only because I'm lazy. Um, I haven't gotten a new one yet, a new pounce wheel. Sure. Uh, but what I do is I'll take a straight edge usually. And now I've been taking these colored pencils and I think specifically I'm using the color uh, Prismacolor. It's called uh, Sienna Brown. It's PC945. And I sharpen that up really good with my X-Acto knife. So it's really sharp. And then I'll take and I'll uh, take a, a, a scale rule, a metal scale rule, and about every foot and a half or so, or two feet on my building, I'll really, really lightly draw a line. And I'm just letting that pencil just skip over the clapboards. I mean, just, I'm not pushing down on it at all. Yeah. Just yep. skip. And I don't go all the way down the side of the building. Like if uh -huh. the bottom of my wall has a bunch of peeling paint, then that's where these nail heads would show. That's where the, uh -huh. the rust would show. So I'll take in just maybe the bottom third of the wall or the bottom half of the wall, I'll draw these little lines. And they're not all the same length. You know, where the wall's more weathered, the lines go higher on the building. Yeah. Where it's, it, there's a lot of paint, barely, barely put a, almost a ghost uh -huh. of these. And I, I, I call those ghost nails or ghost yeah. studs, right? Yes. And, and then from there, then, then what I did was I, I take the ammo odorless enamel thinner and a little brush and I'll, and when you have just a little bit of that pencil on there, you could take that odorless enamel thinner, like you were saying, and you can almost float out that color and that color will, will somewhat start disappearing. Yeah. Um, and, and that pigment or what, I don't know what the pencils are made of, whether it's a wax or what it is it kind of dissolves and flows and you get this really soft look from your pencils mm -hmm. yeah. and, and the pencils, when you get a sharp enough point, man, you get, you could get them so much tighter than any brush. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, yep. So they're really cool and it's, it's an awesome technique and I only started doing it. I didn't even know that you were doing it. 
I know you <laughs> talked about, you know, colored pencils and stuff, but I had never done it. And I thought, you know, I know that AK is making those weathering pencils. I wonder what they're using. They can't be, you know, somebody's got to be mass producing these pencils and you can't yeah. sell enough of these pencils to have yep. a machine that's making weather. I wonder if they're just using some kind of colored pencil. Well, so I, I, I had the Prismacolors <laughs> and I tried it and it worked. Yeah. Right? What's funny is my art studio is right next door to my workshop and layout room. Right. And so if I run out of something, I run into my art studio and think, what do I have that I can use? So a lot of times I'll grab a marker. If I'm yeah. staining <laughs> yep. a little piece of wood, I just run in, grab a, a warm gray number five or six yep. and just run that over the wood and it, it stains it and it looks yeah. great. Oh man. I, you know, it's kind of funny. I, what I did one, God, it was, it was years ago. But I had, uh, I still have, they're almost all dry, but a, a big set of Prismacolor markers um, for doing the drawings for work, right? Uh -huh. I, and they're kind of like watercolor markers, right? Um, it looks like watercolor, you color it on. And, and so I thought, what if I use these markers to kind of do, because I, I would do like almost caricature drawings for some uh -huh. of the tree houses or um, backyard sheds or whatever that we were drawing for the clients. And I would, I would always draw in like shadows underneath the clapboards and stuff like that. And I said, what if I took the sharp end? Cause there's on Prismacolor markers, there's a fat end yep. um, to do broad yep. strokes. And then there's a little sh sharper end. And yes. I said, what if I took that sharp end and I did the same thing, but on a 3d model. So yeah. on not a 3d digital model, but on the, on a model that I'm building for model railroading. Yeah. So I actually took that and the damn thing was dry. <laughs> I think it was like, uh, French gray, 20% or French gray, 30%. Those are some of my yeah. favorite markers, the French grays. I love French gray. Um, and I went, start going under a, against, up against like the edge trim and then underneath the edge of the clabbered with yeah. that French gray, not all the way down the clabber, but just up underneath it. And I was blown away <laughs> by the graphic nature that it yeah. made that piece that, yeah. and I didn't like the fact that I was faking a shadow, but it looked freaking good. Yeah. It, it was, and it was a marker. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's not like you had to re worry about yeah. loading up paint into a brush. Uh, you're using this like transparent, um, semi-transparent medium over top of paint. Yeah, it's great. Oh, yeah, it really is. Oh, it's so cool. I, I love it. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't bought another set of markers. I, that mar marker set I have is probably... <laughs> Geez, I probably bought it in 2008, you know? Wow. So there's only a couple that are still usable in there. Yeah. But one thing I think is really cool is that Ammo's recently came out with a thing called Shaders. Yes. And it's basically yeah. the exact same thing. Yeah. But it's in a liquid form that you paint on with a brush. Sure. And you've started using those, right? You use those, you love those things. Yeah. Oh, I, I love those. I do. And again, at the Ammo stuff, it's just so convenient. It's so easy. Yeah. Um, there's other ways to achieve that look, but it, the colors are perfect. Um, the brushes that they provide, it's just, uh, it's just so easy. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, so easy. And the more you practice with it and the more you try using different combinations. Yep. Um, I, uh, I, I think that you'll just be blown away it, by it, To describe what the, the ammo shaders are, they're in a really small bottle. They're only like, 
God, they're only a couple ounces. I mean, what do they say? They say they're 10 milliliters. I don't know what yeah. that converts to in uh, the um, imperial system. Um, but it's it's maybe like two ounces, right? Well, it and, takes so little oh, to, to... Barely any. Yeah, uh, so... But it, it's like a bottle, of, and for the people that are listening that haven't seen these, they're brand new. It's it's almost like an acrylic paint, but it's transparent. Yes, if that makes any sense. So if you have, it's like a water based ink. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, and you could thin it with water. Which yes, is really cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so you're tinting a color. So if you already have something that's painted and you want it to have a different tint or a different hue, you can brush this on and it, it's, it's still, <laughs> it keeps your original color, but it, it can tint it. And, and I don't know, it's hard to explain. Well, but you know, it, I mean, for instance, I, I was taking, and, and they have a couple different things. They, have, they also have a type of product called filter, which can be used in a similar manner. Um, uh-huh. But let's say you have something that's stark white right? You could take a light gray shader with some water and put that on it. And that'll give almost a, it'll soften up that white a little bit. And you could go where maybe, maybe there would be natural shadows. And you could put this into an area where there'd be natural shadows with some water, thin it out. And all of a sudden you're almost like I was talking about with the, the Prismacolor markers, you're forcing some shadow um, which is forcing texture into your model. Yeah. A- and the the ability, I think there's probably, I don't know, maybe 30 of those right now, 24 of them or so. There's all different colors, blues and light yeah. gray, grime, ash black. There's all these yeah. different colors. And it's such a cool compliment. For people yeah, that don't want to use like the the enamel stuff, like the washes, you know, cause yeah. I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't want to use those cause they stink or, you know, in all honesty, they, they're not odorless enamel thinner. It doesn't smell at all. There's yeah. a little bit of smell to the washes, but it washes up really easily. But if you just want to use, maybe your kids uh, are getting into this and they want to use something other than just the paints. Now the shaders are an accessory to the paints. They're not paint by themselves. Yeah. Yeah, not going to be able yep. to paint anything with them, right? Well, in a recent video I put out, I uh, make buoys using Sculpey, okay. and I paint the buoys with bright colors, and I painted thin white stripes on them. Sure. After they were all completely done, I took a shader called Dirt, okay, and I brushed that over all of them, and it yeah. toned down all the colors, even the white, and it just then blends in with the rest of the model right right so it It makes it look aged so that it matches the rest of it so they don't just stand out but it does something that a wash doesn't do right like yeah what we think of washes whether it's an ammo or or an enamel wash right or an india ink wash india the washes usually kind of tend to flow to the low parts yeah of a model right and the highs tend to have a different color when you yep. use them. Um, the shaders, they kind of cover the whole area. They but, tint the entire object and actually change 
change like the hue or the shade of it. Right. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. Hence the yeah. word, the word shader. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. Where, where ammo does have it. They have an enamel product also called filter, which they specifically make. It's, it's kind of funny. I don't use a lot of filters, but I definitely have used them, but their uh -huh. filters have names like brown for white, gray for yellow sand ochre for light sand. So there's specific yeah. colors they make to put on other colors uh -huh. to, to give them these, these hues. It's, it's actually <laughs> yes. really, really cool stuff. And the color yeah. depths that are created when you lay these things on is pretty amazing. Well, it's all, it all depends on how many hours you want to put into this hobby and what you want to achieve. Of course. Yep. yep. So it's not for everyone, but if you really want to get, crazy with it you know and you really want to put that time in then um it, it's available you know well um, here's what i like about um bringing these products uh in and you know the show isn't about military you know modeling <laughs> yeah. products uh but or military weathering products but we we do use those you can do, and what, like we said before, you could do a lot of these kind of simulations, a lot of these techniques with acrylic paints. No mm -hmm. doubt about it. Um, if you want to step it up a little bit and make yourself, uh, make, make your models a little bit more realistic, these allow you to do a lot of layering. Um, yep. And it makes things have more depth in your color uh, and more texture even. They make all kinds of textures too. And yep. it, it allows you to expand your horizon on that. The reason... I like them for that, but I'll be totally honest. When I'm building a model, I am so impatient. I oh, like sure. to build it as fast <laughs> yeah. as possible. Back when, yes. back, I think when you originally met me, which was like 20 years ago, uh, I had that <laughs> TrevinoCircle.com website, right? Yeah. And my yep. goal was to build a building a day, man. I yeah. wanted to crank those things out. Now, there's a bit of a difference between my modeling then and my modeling now. Luckily, we didn't have as good a cameras back then, but <laughs> um, we, I, I would try to build those as fast as I could because I don't like staying on one structure. I like creating. I like making something yeah. new. Yep. What these products allow me to do, um, any of these military modeling products, is they allow me to model a lot faster and get the same yes. results that would take me a lot longer with our old school methods right? Exactly. exactly. And the results are yep. better. So yes. probably cuts yes. my time in half yep. and the results are better. So yep. there's only pluses, you know, they do cost oh, definitely. a little bit more, definitely. but they last a lot longer. Your results are better and you can model faster. Yeah. I don't see any downside to that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right. I mean, yep. now if they could come up with something to build my buildings faster um, <laughs> or th faster 3D printers, maybe. But, you know, and that's why I don't, and we'll probably talk about this on another episode, but I have the, the, the applications to do. And, and at my, in my real life job, I do a lot of, you know, 3D sculpture, 3D modeling. I have the ability to do stuff in, you know, on 3D printers, uh, but it just drags on me having to do that because I'm not creating. Yeah. I want to yep. be the one creating. That thing I'm is, the same. I want to go yeah. fast. Yeah. And just I have an image in my head and I just want to create that as quick as I can. Yeah. And uh, sometimes I need to remind myself to slow down because I know there's techniques. Well, we were talking uh, earlier about 
titchy windows being plastic and yeah. we're putting them on wood structures. Well, yep. you can take an X-Acto knife and make cuts to make it look like individual boards that they actually put that together and then take the end of a compass and poke nail holes in the corners to make it look like you can even add wood grain with a rough sandpaper. Just go over the plastic windows with sandpaper and rough it up. So you want to create as much texture before you even start painting it. Yep. Yep. Then when you go in and paint it and you add those washes, it all goes into the cracks. And then all of a sudden it looks like real wood. But I get in such a hurry that half the time I don't take the time to do that. But, uh, <laughs> well, you know, and that's one thing that I, I told you before I, I struggle with is titchy windows. You know, we have, let's say, let's take a uh, scale models, right? Yeah. He's got a lot of awesome laser cut windows, doors. They look freaking fantastic. I love yeah. them. You know, yep. they're, they're quick to build. They're easy to paint. And then of course, uh, with any kit company, and then all of a sudden there's a bunch of titchy windows. So I look at these laser cut windows and I go, it used to be the opposite way around too. The laser cut windows would be like, eh, you know, like, especially when they first started having laser kits. Uh -huh. Oh my God, these are so out of scale and the mullions are huge and you can see the grain and then the grain goes the opposite direction. Now he's using task board and you know, things yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Where that grain isn't so, there's no grain. It's, it's yeah. you know, uh, yeah. but now, so we have these awesome looking laser cut windows and then you throw titchy windows into the mix and titchy windows to me, I use them all the time, but they just look like plastic. And so I'm always yeah. struggling with how do I take these titchy windows? And maybe it's because we've seen the same windows over and over and over and over again for years. <laughs> yeah. You know, before titchy, there was a grant line and all the windows, they still look the same, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe a little bit different gray color in the plastic. But other than that, you know, they're basically the same <laughs> thing. Um, so you... I look at those and go, God, they look like plastic, but everything else looks like wood. And how do you paint them? So, you know, I've played around with techniques where I'll take uh, like a, uh, there is a pigment from ammo called Europe Earth. Uh -huh. And it's, when it's dry, it's almost got the same color as like a, a driftwood or a piece of basswood yeah. that has like, let's say Vitero inks. They have a, a uh, aged barnwood color, which uh -huh. which I just love. See, there's there's the issue with having the garage door open. Your helicopters <laughs> yeah. flying by the house. We're we're also right underneath the uh, the one fourteenth uh, California National Guard air wing, so we have uh, F-15s that fly by wow. every day, which is cool because I can go out my front door and see F-15s, which is awesome. But uh, they're super loud and rattle all the windows. Um, but. I take that with uh, ink and I generally will use the, um, I got in a habit and, and I shouldn't get in a habit. I shouldn't lock myself into a habit, but I'll take something like the uh, Builders and Scale Silverwood uh, ink uh, or, or stain, which is very similar to the Vitero uh, Aged Barnwood. Uh -huh. and mix a little bit of the, um, the uh, Europe Earth uh, pigment in that. And I'll yeah. brush that onto my windows. I'll let that dry. Those windows, and I'll primer them first, okay? Um, yeah. Those windows will then have this like dry, uh, almost like a dirty color to them. And I'll, then I'll 
put a little bit darker pigment on them with a say a, a farm dark earth or a, a city dark dust and these are all pigments you can buy yeah, uh, yeah. from ammo and then i go over top of that with a um a uh, like a chipping effects right if i want to do like chipping paint on yeah. those and then i'll put a paint on top of them and then i'll go and chip them yep it makes them look better but way better at what does but it's still well looks like I, a I, damn plastic window yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i think by maybe first adding some texture with sandpaper or mm-hmm. uh the end of a compass putting some lines in it to create grain right wood grain okay and then like you just mentioned painting it first to look like wood and i think a lot of people skip that step they just paint it the color of their trim or the color of their wall right and then maybe add a little bit of brown to the edges or something but i think the key is to first texture it right and then make it look like wood match it to the the stained wall that you just did okay okay so make it look as real as possible just like raw wood right then then put your color over the top of that yeah i i think so too and that that's what i'm doing with the pigments where i try to get the same kind of color as the the aged wood and yeah. then I, but yeah but uh, i'm gonna have to try to texture with sandpaper that that brings me up to another technique that um this may be controversial for some, so if you don't like controversy, <laughs> please put your fingers in your ears. Um, using a Zona saw or a razor saw to put grain in your wood. Yeah. I love your idea of using sandpaper because it has random, I don't want to say sizes of grit, but random placed pieces of grit. Where yes. if you use a Zona saw or an X-Acto saw, you have a very consistent tooth interval. And you yeah, you're, you're that, creating a pattern. You're <laughs> creating a grain pattern. And I see that all the time. And it wants me to pull my hair out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get it. You know, that was cool 30 years ago. You know, it, it looked good. I remember Malcolm. Yeah, I'm going to use a Zona saw. Like, oh, man, it looked awesome. And he's putting <laughs> yeah. ink on the end of wood. and It looked rotten. Yeah. It's creating a pattern, a pattern that is not of, I don't want to say random in nature. There is a methodology to nature, you know, that <laughs> there's a reason why things are what they are, but you don't find a lot of exacting, consistent patterns in nature. Yeah. You just don't, yeah. uh, at least in wood grain, you know, there's fractals and things like that. But, but when I see that, not only is it insanely exaggerated, it just, it looks like you've used a razor saw, yeah. right? And I don't know, there's things we can do better, you know, we can improve on. And so using something like a heavier grit sandpaper uh, uh-huh. to create it, or even hell, like I use, I use an optimizer all the time, right? Because I can't see worth crap, right? Okay. So I'll get in there with a really sharp X-Acto knife. And on, on some wood, I'll literally carve in the grain. Yeah. Um, I'll go one direction. So I'll come in. If you imagine a V in the cross section of a piece of wood, I'll carve mm-hmm. in one leg of the V and then I'll go in the opposite direction and carve in the other leg of the V and then pop out that little piece of wood. So you have an enhanced grain. Usually that's a weathered piece of wood, right? Mm-hmm. Or another thing I'll do if, if I'm using, let's say uh, square, square uh, members of wood, like beams, 
I'll go in and I'll soften up the edges so you don't have those perfect right angles. Because as soon as a, a piece of wood starts getting used on a dock or it's out in the weather for years, you're not going to have these really sharp, you know, lumber mill perfect 90 degree angles on your wood, <laughs> yes. right? Yep. So maybe with a little bit of a razor blade or with sandpaper, just softening that up a little bit yeah. or even cutting out little chunks. You know, because you see on old beams, like big chunks are missing and things like that. So I tend to do that. But I always stay away from that Zona saw or razor saw technique. <laughs> I, I keep different grit sandpapers uh, right next to my workbench. Yeah. Um, and they're just so easy. It's so easy to use to quick because you don't have to run the sandpaper over the object. You can take the object and scrape it across Lay, oh. lay the sandpaper flat on yep. your workbench, yep. then take the piece and drag it across it quick. And instant texture. Oh, you know, one thing that uh, a lot of people will say is, well, yeah, I'm working on this really little piece though, you know, and I got to get this big piece of sandpaper. There is a tool that I found not too long ago that maybe a lot of people know about, I didn't, that is, a, it's a Tamiya sander and what it looks like, it's about four inches long, and it looks like a bamboo skewer, okay? But it's made out of plastic, and it's infused with some kind of grit, right? Oh, okay. So it's got a sharp end, and it's grit all the way up the sharp end on all the sides. Yeah. On the back side, it's sliced at maybe a 45-degree angle, so there's just this, like, stub, almost like a rubber brush, right? Huh. So you can get into the smallest of areas and this piece is infused with the grit. So it, the grit doesn't wear off, you know, okay. it just, cool. it, wow. and you could take those things and, and they're, they're grit all along the four inches, right? So you could take those and there's different grits. You could take those and rub that on a piece of wood and all of a sudden you have instant grain. And nice. you, you turn that piece maybe back and forth as you're pulling it. And I'm sure you do this, Jason. So you avoid like, standard patterns yeah make sure yep. you're moving things when you're yes. when you're sanding it um yep. it's almost like uh if you're going to draw with a pencil an artist is drawing with a pencil right and and i don't know if you do this jason this is something i was taught years ago but if you don't want to dull that pencil you you somewhat spin that pencil in your hand yeah. as you're drawing yep right? you're rotating it you're yeah. rotating it and that keeps your your point sharp all the time. Yes, exactly. And I think you could totally use that for um, uh, for colored pencils. But when you're sanding, it's almost you're always wanting to move whatever you're sanding with. Or, uh, for instance, if I'm the clabbered techniques that we use, where we take and we we run a blade underneath the clabbered and we pop it up a little bit. Right? Uh -huh. If I'm going to break part of that clabbered off, uh, you know, the bottom edge of that clabbered, I'll take my knife and when I'm running up there, I'll, I'll spin that knife. So it gives a, it almost like a wavy type of look to the break on the clabbered where parts of that clabbered have broken off. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just a simple way to avoid a really dead looking pattern, I guess you could say. A manufactured <laughs> yes. pattern, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, so that, that's, that's just another little technique. But those Tamiya sanders, man, they're awesome. They're really, really I think cool. that's, uh, you know, speaking of that, when people are trying different techniques, I, you have to practice. <laughs> you have to just experiment because at first, 
it's going to be uh, kind of stiff looking. Yeah. It's I don't know how to explain it, but it's it's not going to have a very natural look maybe at first. Right. But after you do it 10 times, you're going to get very comfortable with it and you're going to be able to turn that blade slightly, turn that brush slightly just to get a more natural look to what you're weathering. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, uh, and I, I think that's one thing about modelers when they start out. Obviously, you have to practice at anything to get yeah. You know, you, you have to practice any yep. of these kits we make, um, scratch building, kit bashing, you got to do it over and over and over again. Yeah. I try on every single, everything I make to be better than I was the previous time. Always, yes. always trying yep. to be better. Yep. I honestly don't always accomplish that. Um, some things I make get a lot more likes than others. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And usually I know, sure. I know, even though I post it, I'm like, yeah, that's mediocre at best. It's not going to be that, you know, people aren't going to like it that much, but I learn from that and I try to try to improve on that or I'll go back yeah. and I'll change that model. Um, and that's one thing that I think that new modelers, you shouldn't be hesitant to not only try to build something and learn how to build it, but then try to take it to that next level with weathering. I, I just, yeah. I think that yep. I think weathering makes a model. I don't care what it is. It could be a brand new car, plastic car kit. It's going to have some kind of weathering. It could yeah. be as slight <laughs> as the tread of the tires are a little dirty or slightly worn down. But even something that's brand new is, has been out in the elements. Right? Oh, yeah. Now, I know you and I both love heavily weathered. Oh, yeah. I mean, stuff. my stuff looks like, I mean, I go to the opposite end of the spectrum. And I go, yeah. I want to make my stuff look like people couldn't possibly live in it or, you know, operate with it or function with it. But, but I, the that's key what is, I like. it looks believable. It looks like the elements made that wood look that way. That's, um, that's what I try that's to achieve. That's the key. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I do, I try to achieve that. I go way overboard a lot of times, but once again, the reason we do this hobby is because we love doing it. Yeah. That's the look I love. Well, there, I know for me, even after years of doing this, I still, I have my phone right next to me and I'll do a Google search. I'll look up rusted pipes. Oh my God. Every, I will say <laughs> one thing we say in the real art world out in our real jobs. And I know you do this too. Reference, reference, reference. Yes. Yep. Constantly. Constantly. Always referencing the real thing Yep. to help us replicate uh, life or what could be in miniature. Yeah. Reference is so important. And I find when I fail the worst on things is when I don't use reference and I just kind of, I think about it and go, well, I've done this technique before. I'm going to do it again. And I'll, I'll, for instance, I just did a, a piece with a bunch of efflorescence on it. I wasn't using my reference and I just started doing it. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. I went back and said, that's ridiculous. And so I had to go back and redo it uh, yeah. because I brought up some reference photos and go, okay, I see what I, what I was missing here. You know, um, that's so important to use reference. It is. Oh my gosh. There, there also is nothing, nothing wrong with trying to do it from memory, you know, and, and, and trying to 
see if you can accomplish what you're trying to accomplish without uh-huh. using reference. But you always need to fall back on that reference because yeah. the most perfect things that we could ever want are already out there in nature. And uh-huh. odds are in the two trillion pages there are on Google, there's <laughs> got to be pictures of something yeah. that's very similar. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever had like an idea where I go, oh, I, this is a brand new idea. And I go look on yeah. Google and of course there's 5,000 photos. Well, and you had mentioned it about getting out of your comfort zone. So if you to. look something up on Google and really push yourself and think, how can I recreate that on this model with techniques that I know, with techniques I've heard about, how can I best recreate that and uh, force yourself to, to achieve that look? Um, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's one thing I used to, I don't do it as much anymore, but I used to. I always tried to invent new techniques not necessarily invent them for the world, invent them for me. They were new to me. I'm sure, sure somebody out there had tried them, but uh-huh. I, w- I was trying to do like uh, figuring out new techniques for painted on signs. That was one thing I always tried to do. Like, how can I, how can I get ink out of my printer and put this <laughs> onto a building yes. without it looking like paper glued yep. onto a building? You yeah. know, I'm still struggling with that. And I know I know there's been some <laughs> techniques developed on how to do it, yeah. but you know, how do you, it, and it's even more important, not so much important. Like, I'll what, tell you a quick trick that I've learned yeah, on go that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Is uh, I used to always cut the sign out first, then sand the back of it. Right. Now what I do is I sand it first and you're going actually past, past the edges it, yeah. of the sign. You're doing a bleed, right? You're doing yeah. a full page bleed, you're, right? You're, you're sanding almost the whole paper, right? Yep. yep. Then, then cut out the shape of Absolutely. the sign. Um, Absolutely. It, it, it's way better. It's oh. just, it works so much easier. I was you're doing not one wrinkling the other day. and crumpling it and ripping uh, it. <laughs> I was doing one the other day and I go, okay, I'm going to cut. So I cut out the sign and then I start sanding it. And I said, what am I doing? Why am I doing it this way? Now I got to worry about the edges folding over and getting, <laughs> why wouldn't I leave it in the paper? It, just like what you said. Yeah. Why not sand it in the paper? And as cool as that method is, I know there's other techniques where we can get that. On the clapboards, you know where I see it all the time, but where it looks worse. I even wrote an article in the in the uh, NMRA bulletin uh, years, like in 1995, Uh right? Um, It was called like "Painted on Signs Made Easy" or something like that. It looks the worst on brick, yeah. Because you you can put it on brick, and yeah, it looks fine, and you know, but to me as much as I want that and I love painted on signs on brick, right? It almost always still looks like a piece of paper glued to it. <laughs> yeah, man, you have to get that so thin for so brick because you want that brick pattern to show through. Yep, yep. Uh, and then the key really is to, uh, I take a, a sponge and take some of the brick color and, and lightly go over, sponge over it. Yep. Uh, so it, it looks like, it's worn off and the bricks showing through. You've got to so. hit those highs of the bricks. I mean, that's oh, the yeah. secret is hitting the highs yep. of the bricks to make it look like that's, and, uh, and it, it's, that's just like the sponge technique you were talking about. There is a, an amount that you can go 
but then there's a threshold that you get up to and then all of a sudden it's too heavy. You know, you're, you're too much pain. Um, yeah. Because no matter what you do, those grout lines, your paper's not going to go into those grout lines. Yeah. Uh, the bricks are going to be raised, <laughs> but the yeah. grout lines are not going to be as low as what they are in the actual model, whether it's a yeah. casting or resin or whatever it is. Yep. So there is a very definite threshold. So you have to be layer after thin layer after thin layer, and you have to have a really delicate hand. Build it up slow. Very yeah. slow. Very yeah. slow. Yep. Um, but when it's done right, like the stuff you do, Jason, it looks fantastic. It looks really good. Um, one thing, one problem we have in model railroading and model building um, in general is we don't have Alps printers anymore. There's no way to print white, you know? So we, oh, could, yeah, yeah. we could easily print, you know, decals. And yeah. there's some really high-end decal film out yep. there. But you can't print white. So we're always screwed in it when it comes to white, you know? <laughs> well, I'll printers. tell you something I've been doing recently. Yeah. And I, I didn't used to do this, but I don't print straight black. It's a very dark gray. Uh-huh. And I, I don't use the white of the paper. I actually use a, a really light gray or like a warm gray. Yep. Because um, I just think straight white and straight black on a model you don't feel you stands out it's you don't just, find it you don't it's find not it in nature. scale it's well not it's, in scale it, it's not in scale and you I, you can go out to a street that was paved yesterday and it is not going to be straight black it's going to be really really dark but it's going to be a really <laughs> yeah. really dark gray yeah right um you're not going to find a perfect black and you're not going to find a definitely not going to find a perfect white you know yeah unless you're going for something completely washed out where the sun's shining on it. And it's just, in that case, you're not going to see any detail anyway. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, you, you are going to, so you're, where you're going with this is that you're printing with a really light gray and that will totally work. That's my white. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, your white. Yep. The problem yeah. is, is most printers out there, they're assuming that you're printing on white paper. Yeah. So they are all programmed because yep. they don't have white ink. They're all programmed to assume that I'm printing on a white background. So I don't need white. And then I recently did it on that very large uh, Varga building, the Foss okay. scale kit, the signs on there. I actually scanned those in to the computer okay. and changed the colors and then printed them. You so did? they're not, okay. they're not the signs from, uh the kit right uh, and you can simply do a wash uh uh on some of those i may have done a wash where okay. um I, I just put a, a wash of a a really light sort of warm gray over it so it toned down the black sure and then dirtied up the white yep and that, that's one thing that definitely you don't see as much of now but i know when when printers people started really getting household computers and printers and the type of signs you would see on model railroads started to change from, you know, like things you'd find in a phone book or dry transfers yeah. or decals <laughs> over to signs that were printed, you know, using you know, people were using like print shop and, and stuff yeah. like that. And Photoshop was very early. So you, you definitely seen a transition between um, those two mediums, but then people were using a lot of stark black, you know, uh, yeah. white letters, with black around them and they didn't yeah. really weather it very much. So there was a lot of these really stark black signs. Yeah. And I think people have 
pretty much gotten out of that. And, and well, I know not everyone has uh, the capability, but lately I've been scanning all of my, my signs. So yeah. when I'm doing a FOSS kit, um, I just run into my art studio here and lay it on my scanner, scan in the sheet, and then I can change the color on the computer. And I can even, um, uh, I use the airbrush on my computer uh -huh. and I'll take white and very lightly go over the center of the sign to give a sun faded uh, look. Kind of wash it out a little. Yeah. Totally yeah, wash sense. out. So, uh, so the colors aren't so bright. Well, I think another cool thing you could do with that is, is so once you scan in the, the, the signs, be it yep. the sign for the building or an advertising sign, you now have the size of that sign. So yeah. if you wanted to, you could just go in and type over top of what, oh. uh, for instance, that one was a uh, Hatchie, uh, Hatchie and Varga, right? The Hatchie yeah. and Varga building. Uh -huh. You could put your own lettering right over that and you'd have the perfect size of what that sign That's is right. supposed to be. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So then you definitely. could just print out and you could have a you could have the perfectly sized sign, but with yeah. your own lettering over top of it. Uh, so I've even done signs. This was way back. Um, it was a couple of years back. But anyways, I uh, sc scanned in the signs and I did all the rust in the computer. I actually did it in Photoshop. Yeah, with yeah. Because they have brushes that yep. are uh, all different shaped brushes, like little dots and stuff. Right, right. And so you can recreate rust in the computer on on those signs, and you work in layers yep. on on the computer too. Sure, sure. In so I know that some of this is just over people's heads; uh, they just don't have those well, programs. But I, I, yeah, um, but I, I I did one time. I did the same thing where I wanted to see yeah. can I make a building just by printing it out because there were some pretty sure. cool. Uh, paper building companies that came out. Yeah, um, they don't seem to be around anymore. But I made one building. It was in O scale, completely off of pictures that I saw on Google. I took them into uh -huh. Photoshop, cut them up, layered them, printed it out, and it was awesome. I don't know why. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm thinking, man, I should do that for for buildings on a layout because they look perfect. They're made yeah. from photos. I mean, it looks real. And some people do that, you know, on like the, sure. the background buildings and stuff. Sure. It looks, I love it. It's fantastic. Uh, especially when they start putting depth, you know, the doors are farther yeah. back and actual three-dimensional depth to them. It's fantastic. So that's- For that's me, a, the, the computer work though, um, I can do it and it looks cool, but it takes away that enjoyment. You're not my, building, my, right? You're not you're building. Not, you're you're not sitting on your your, <laughs> yes. your workbench and doing something. Yes. And that that's where I that's kind of what I feel is I, I can do a lot of different stuff on the computer. Yeah. Um I have to do it every day at work, but I don't want to. I want to build. I don't want right. to be that's like right. I'm at work. I want to be making stuff. Yeah. So that's why I try like even even now, if I'm making a sign, I'll go in and print it out really quick, but then I'll cut it out with my hands. You know, yeah. I did this one sign yep. that says fish and I made my own stencil so uh -huh. I could send, I, it's not print, it's not printed on the computer. The stencil was, but I hand cut the stencil. Yeah. Um, I enjoy that. Yep. Uh, Definitely. It, now someday I'll probably get a cricket, you know, and I'll, I'll just cut out my <laughs> own stencils so I don't have yeah. to hand cut everything. But, uh, -huh. uh but yeah, I, there's something about that craftsmanship that being able to, use your own hand instead of using the computer to do a lot of things yes. for you, which we could. Um, yeah. There's some really, there, there's uh, mental uh, advantages to that, I guess. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. 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 Well, so. um, you know, I don't know, unless you have anything else to talk about for this episode, I suppose we could probably wrap it up. I mean, I think we've covered a hell of a lot. Uh, yeah, I think we covered a lot. And I do want to say, I mean, I want to do some more episodes. So yeah. let's, let's save some info for the next one. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Um, so I, I guess that uh, what we're planning on doing right now, uh, folks, is that we're going to probably do three of these. And uh, this will be the first one, of course. And, and thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Um, Jason and I are always batting around ideas. So uh, this, this would be one of the ideas of having a Kind of and a hopefully weathering. some of the listeners give us ideas for future episodes. Well, uh, you know, I'm, that's what I'm thinking. And I don't know, yeah. Jason, if you, if you plan to put this up on Jason Jensen Trains or how we're going to sure. distribute it. But I would love to have people say, hey, I want to hear about this technique. Or did you hear about this technique? This is yeah. even better. Like, have you seen anybody do this technique? <laughs> this is really yeah. cool. That's what I yeah. want to see because I want to try new stuff. Yeah. You know? Oh, so definitely. I, I think that's great. And, and, you know, I really appreciate everybody that's listening in because I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of uh, possibilities uh, that we could do on a, on a, a, you know, I guess we could call this a mini series podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And this community, this community is just incredible. I've made so many great friends through this hobby. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Um, yeah, it's just incredible. Yeah, I, I, I really, it's, it's, it, it is really cool. I, I really like seeing people that just started and they say, hey, take a look at what I did. I, oh, I heard yeah. something you said or I watched a video you did and then they get better and better. And, yep. and then all of a sudden they're, they're better than <laughs> you, you know? I yeah. Mean, that, oh, that, yeah. Really cool. I yep. really, I really appreciate Definitely. that. So. So hopefully, yeah, we'll get input from people that listen to this and uh, we can add to it a little bit and we'll see what happens. I don't know when we're going to do the next episode. Let's see what the reaction is with this one. But we're definitely right. going to do more. <laughs> well, well hopefully if, we get a couple of listeners. If right? we get more than two. Okay. If we get more than two <laughs> listeners, we will, we will make another podcast. Hopefully we get more than two. But anyway, Jason, uh, as always, it's awesome talking to you. Uh, oh, always. It's, yeah, I really it's admire, great talking with you. I really admire all everything you do and your, your work. And uh, it's definitely awesome that, you know, this hobby, we met each other through this hobby and now we've known yep. each other for 20 plus years. So that's fantastic, right. you know? So um, anyway, guys, everybody that's listening, thank you for listening in. Jason, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. We, uh, we will definitely uh, talk to you soon. You'll see us on uh, Jason Jensen Trains on yes. uh, Facebook, <laughs> on YouTube. You'll see, see me at dirtspot.7 and uh, maybe on other podcasts here uh, coming up soon. So we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And we will talk to you all soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. Cool. What are we, we're going to call this the, the Jason and James podcast. What are we going to call it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, why not? The crazy JJs. Crazy double J's. Here we are <laughs> live with the crazy double J's. Whoa, 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 whoa. And we'll cut that out. <laughs>
<laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Uh, go ahead and just lead in on that. 